improve their communication skills so they can help more people and help people more. I'm your host, Dr. Martin Harvey. I'm a chiropractor and I'm an expert in communicating the value of chiropractic. Today is an episode where I'm going to break down a listener question. The question comes from Eric, who's a fantastic chiropractor, got a great practice, and he's got a couple of questions about when people stop sticking to their care plans and how to handle it. So I'm going to loop back and answer that. There's a couple of different aspects to it, a couple of different frameworks we can use in slightly different circumstances. It's a super important area if you want to have a practice that is made for helping people long term because there's a balance of kind of, I guess, pushing back when people are not sticking to a care plan and encouraging them to do so versus preserving a long-term relationship and so we're going to tease that apart in just a minute. In terms of some announcements, Communication to Improve Patient Care Workshop is coming up. It's in partnership with the UCA in the UK. It's on on the evenings of the no, of November 21st and 24th if you are in the UK uh, and you would need to be on those calls if you wanted to satisfy the GCC direction to do learning with others regarding communication. If you just want to do a really cool communication workshop that talks about engagement approaches to communication in ways that will help people get better results and uh, stay longer with your care, then check it out. Um, The link is in the show notes. Also getting phenomenal feedback about the retention recipe 2.0. If you've been a listener for a while, you know all about it, but I will just give a quick pricey of it. It's really about helping you feel more confident in connecting people with the big picture of chiropractic. Uh, And that that is really that regardless of what people love to do, what they see as their role or identity to do, chiropractic can help them do that better. And the retention recipe is all about procedures and frameworks and strategies in the first 12 visits that set it up for people to go through that transition from potentially seeing health in a pain or problem sort of a level of awareness through to a prevention level and right up to a performance level. So if that's something that's of interest to you, um, check out the link in the show notes. You can watch the preview, free preview lessons. If it uh, vibes with you, just sign up for the full program. Watch the lessons. There's over seven hours of video lessons to help you restructure and tweak what you currently do to make it more effective. Implement the easy, effective, ethical communication strategies and then sit back and watch your practice grow while you're having more fun doing it. So Eric's question was, he had a situation that he feels like he's encountered, not all the time, but semi-regularly, where you have somebody who has come in for care and they've stuck to a care plan, got phenomenal results, it's at some point further down the line, and then they're just changing what they do. They're not sticking to a care plan anymore Um, they sort of either indicated expressly like they've told you I'm just going to come in when I feel like it or they've just started coming in a bit randomly Uh, now sometimes they'll have uh, concerns around finances or time or any of the other things but he was super keen to see look how do you address this do you just let it go and not discuss it do you 
uh, sort of lay down the, a, a line in the sand and you either play by my rules or you get out, what's the best way of approaching it? And then he had a second somewhat related question in that it, it relates to people sticking to a schedule. Um, with And it was more to do with CA communication when it comes into school holidays. So there are periods of the year where people have more on in their life and it's less definite about where they're going to be and when they're going to be there. And so often the CA will be sort of in a difficult situation where somebody will either call to reschedule a time that they have that is at a time that they know isn't going to be convenient or they will be making a forward appointment and it falls into one of these inconvenient times. We're going to, for the ease of discussion, talk about them as school holidays, but it could be some other time, you know, a busy time that for them as a student or a busy work time or whatever. And it's easy for them to just sort of kick the decision down the road and say, oh, look, I'll just call when I know what's going to happen. Now, the challenge with this situation is that sometimes they don't call. Sometimes just life, they might have the best intentions, but life just gets busy and without an appointment in the book to act as a sort of an anchor or reminder, it's easy for them to just sort of drift and either completely drop out of care or have their care delayed. And we know that just the physiology of the way the spine works and subluxation works, it's likely to not be optimal for them to leave their care for a much longer period of time. So there are two key issues that are somewhat uh, interrelated here. And they are the, I guess the first one is uh, an issue around health belief, around when you should see a health provider, how you decide that, how important that is. So if we look at the scenario of somebody who's had care, stuck to a care plan for a period of time, often the early stage of care, there's a care plan that's really built around pain or maybe prevention. So you're, somebody's coming to see you most commonly because they've got some sort of health challenge or pain or issue that they want to help see if you can resolve. And we will present them with a care plan and then we might also explain the big picture around the different types of care moving forward that after we get some improvement in function of the spine so that they feel better uh, that there's value in dealing with the underlying imbalance to restore spinal function body function to as close to 100 percent as possible to minimize the chance of things returning and then there's value in ongoing care in helping the body work at its best so that you, that people can do the things that are important to them, the things that they love to do or see as their role or identity to do on an ongoing basis. And so there's this sort of gradual change from a reactive care model to a proactive care model. And in our level of health belief, where we're often looking at things from this performance level, the most important time to see us is when is on the schedule and it's driven by the feedback that we're getting in terms of how your body's functioning rather than how you're feeling. And so a care plan is the perfect way to kind of do that in a more objective way rather than the subjective way of based on how you feel. Um, so in the scenario of the, look, things are busy at this time, school holidays are on, I'll just call. Again, it's sort of more tied into that, well, I guess the reverse of that perspective, which is, look, the proactive care might be valuable, but it's not as important as uh, reactive care is, or at least 
there's a, a equal value around me being able to manage my other commitments. So we need to recognise that we're often working with people who have different beliefs around that. Um, the second connected, semi-connected is also a belief um, which is very culturally connected around who gets to choose or who gets to decide the best way to do things. So there used to be a much more paternalistic uh, culture around healthcare decisions where doctor's orders was the, was culturally sort of respected that people would just do what you as a healthcare authority said. I would say that there's been a change in the cultural conversation around this and patients' rights or individuals' rights or informed consent are much more common culturally. And so if we're sort of offering people a care plan, it's quite natural that they'll see that as something that they can choose to do or potentially choose not to do. Um, connected to this idea, I often hear of an idea in chiropractic of there being my house, my rules. Well, yes, people get to choose, but I also get to choose what I do. Now, I think there's not, it's not a black or white issue really when it comes to that. It's, there's a continuum. There's certain levels of choice that people do have. Like you're literally not going to go around if somebody doesn't turn up for an appointment and pick them up and drag them into the office there's a limit to how far you will take this, but I think being thoughtful and, I guess, mindful of our decisions here is really useful. So when we're getting now into the actual scenarios that uh, Eric suggested, there's a couple of things that we don't want to do. The first thing is we don't want to make them wrong for their, the things that they want to do or the things that they've already done. So in the case of somebody who's not sticking to a care plan, we don't want to kind of tell them off like a naughty school child by saying, look, you said you were going to do X, but now you're doing Y. You said you were going to stick to this care plan and your health was important to you and now you're not doing that. Because when we make people wrong, there's a really strong chance that we will initiate psychological uh, responses in them that are undesirable. So we're talking here about reactants where they choose not to do anything with you. They choose to stop care altogether because they feel like you are impinging on their agency. They, they have a belief that they should get to choose and you're sort of um, either explicitly or implicitly saying, well, no, you don't get to choose. Um, we also run the risk of evoking confirmation bias around the underlying health beliefs that are driving their want to choose to be more casual with their care. So what I mean by that is when you make people wrong for just saying, I'm going to come in based on how I feel, or I'm going to call when I know I have time, um, that if we make them wrong for choosing to do that or wanting to choose to do that, then that feels a bit sleazy and we'll often go looking for the reasons. Well, other people do that. I get to do that with my GP. I get to do that with my massage therapist. I get to do that with my physio. I get to do that with blah, 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 blah. And so we reinforce that it's an appropriate thing and that's the right way to manage your health. So really critical thing in this situation, and particularly for the first scenario where somebody's previously had care on a care plan and now is electing not to, um, is that we need to recognise that the most powerful thing that will change people's beliefs and therefore their behaviour is the things that they experience. 
So I like to take, I guess, sort of a very long-term perspective with the people in my practice. So I look at it and I think that I can give people frameworks of understanding if they don't already believe something though, or they believe the opposite of a belief that would drive a certain behavior, they often have to experience the limitations of that belief before they're actually gonna change. So how would that look in this scenario? I would take the approach that somebody who has had a care plan, got good results, and now is choosing to be more symptomatic, um, you know, choosing to come in based on how they feel, um, I want to set a framework that encourages them but leaves the option up to them. So if they choose not to do it, they still have a connection to me, they, we still have a positive relationship and they can see, oh look, I had this experience that you pre-framed may happen, I now wanna do something different. So how does that actually work? So. I would use a yes and approach that we've used in previous episodes where essentially I agree with their perspective and offer another perspective and I don't make one of them right or wrong. So I would say something like, um, we do have people who come in to see us based on how they feel. The upside of that is that you don't have to sort of plan for anything in the future, you're not sort of committed to anything. Downside of it is that because sometimes problems will build up and you can have an imbalance without necessarily feeling it, you can sometimes find that thing, by the time you do feel it, things have gone back a bit and we end up having to do a whole lot of catch up work. The majority of the people in our practice choose to come in on a program based on kind of objective measures that will give us feedback. And the downside of that is that there's a, a commitment in advance, you're, you're committing to come in. The upside though is that typically we can reduce the chance of having those periods where you have to have a lot more care to, keep, to get things back on track. Um, so whatever works for you, completely up to you. So the advantage of this approach then is that it gives a framework for which, uh, whichever way they choose to go, you are, I guess, giving them a framework to frame their experience. We're also using things like most people in that most people choose to come in based on how they function because that acts as a subtle nudge towards that decision because it uses an idea called social proof, which is uh, an idea that Cialdini talks about a lot where one of the shortcuts that we use, one of the heuristics we use is that in uncertain circumstances, we look to see what most people are doing. Um, it also uses the risk aversion or the loss aversion where we tend to be much more motivated away from loss than we are towards uh, an abstract game. So in this scenario, we're using part of the value of choosing to come in on an ongoing basis is to avoid the loss of having to deal with the issue in a more, to have to come in for more regular care at a later stage. Um, so what we're doing then, if we unpack it a little bit, is that we're agreeing with them so that we make sure we preserve the relationship. We're making sure that we reiterate that it's their choice because that's the antidote to reactants. And we're just using a simple yes and approach of agreeing, yep, some people will choose to come in based on how they feel. We're agreeing that there's an upside to it and we're painting what the downside is. And then we're mapping out what the alternative would be, which is our desired behavior for them. And we're also um, being balanced with that by saying that it does have a downside and it has an upside. 
So that's how I would approach it, Eric. Now, in terms of the other one where we're talking about, I'll just call, um, coming into a busy period of time. So often these are people who may choose at other times to stick to a schedule. So there's a slight difference here. Um, and so the approach that I would use here is really just to, to make it easy for them to succeed and hard for them to fail. Again, going into the difficult situations toolbox. So if you were looking to up your skills in this area, the program that I would recommend for you is the difficult situations workshop. I'll have a link to it in the show notes if that's something you want to up your skills in. Um, but in this scenario, I would just the client comes in, let's say the scenario of they've had an adjustment and their next adjustment falls into this busy period. They say, oh, look, oh, I don't know where I'm going to be. I've got the kids are going to have tennis camp that uh, look, I'm not quite sure. I'll just give you a call. Uh, I would encourage your CAs and I would practice this. I'd say that the thing for them is to ask permission. When we ask permission, it lowers blocking and filtering and it means people are a lot more likely to take on the next thing that you say. So I'd say, would it be okay if I made a suggestion? And then the most critical thing with all permission strategies is, that's right, you got to wait for the yes. So again, that motivated away from that risk aversion. I've seen lots of people in this sort of situation where they plan to give us a call. The next thing they know, time's got away. All of a sudden, things have gone backward and they've lost the progress they've worked so hard to get and you know starting uh, back at scratch or they've got to do a bunch of adjustments to get things back on track. And I'd hate that for, for that to happen to you. Can I make a suggestion that we just pencil in a time and that can be either a time when they're due or it could be a time after the holidays, for instance, um, just so that you've got something in place so that we minimise the chance of that happening. And it, if it turns out not to fit in, it's super easy to, to shift or change, but at least that way we, we've got something in place. Does that work for you? And so there's a couple of little nuances in here that I think are really important to double click. First of all, we're using permission. Secondly, we're using risk aversion. The third thing that we're doing is that we're using a softener in terms of why don't we pencil in a time? Because what their concern here is that they feel like they might be overcommitted at that time. So when we use softening language like pencil in and easy to shift, we, uh, we have load a perspective of them that things are going to be easy, that they're not overcommitted when that's their concern. So there we have it, a couple of approaches to making it easy to keep people on track, to make care plans relevant for people while balancing that with keeping in a positive and respectful relationship with them. If you like today's episode, then you will love the Retention Recipe 2.0. It's an online workshop that is broken into 33 lessons and has over seven hours of content, which will teach you to confidently communicate the value of proactive chiropractic in the first 12 visits. So if we want to have long-term retention, if we want people to stay with us for months, years, and reap the really amazing health benefits that happen with long-term chiropractic care, we need to set the foundation for that in the first 12 visits. 
So the approaches in the retention recipe 2.0 are based on state-of-the-art influence strategies that are effective, ethical, and they're enjoyable to use. They will help you to have more fun, less stress, and increase your retention, which means more practice growth and less always being on the hunt for new people. Check it out in the link in the show notes.